Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning, and I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, uh, you'll find our passage on page 980 and 981. Also want to just uh, take a brief moment here and recognize that we have a special guest with us this morning, uh, Joey Thompson. Joey, if you don't mind standing, he's over here. Uh, Joey served as the pastor here at Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, uh, was associate pastor from 2000 to 2003, and then as the lead pastor, senior pastor from 2003 to 2007. And uh, Joey um, grew up in this church and served this church as a pastor and has been a great encouragement to me over the years, has prayed for Crawford Avenue for many years, and uh, super encouragement to me as our church went through the merger process. And so, Joey, it's really a blessing to have you here this morning. Grateful for you, brother, for your ministry. He's the pastor now at Clayton Baptist Church in uh, North North Georgia, a sister uh, Southern Baptist Church, and uh, just very thankful for you. So good to have you with us this morning. All right, well, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we've been in a Christmas series entitled, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. And as we're in Philippians 2 this morning, uh, we are going to focus on verses 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11. And uh, I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 1. I'll read through uh, to verse 11, and then uh, we will pray and consider what God has to say to us. Uh, from his words. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the time that we've been able to spend in Philippians chapter 2 during this Christmas season. And as we conclude our series this morning, Lord, we look to you again in faith and in dependence, and we pray that you would help us. And Lord, we pray that as we turn to your word now and as we consider what Paul has to say to us here, We pray, Father, that truly Christ would be exalted in our midst and that you would be glorified. May we worship the Lord Jesus as he is to be worshiped. May we follow him with all our hearts. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to focus this morning on verses 9 through 11 in Philippians chapter 2. And it's really difficult as we approach these verses this morning, it's difficult for us to appreciate the magnitude of Paul's claims in these verses. 
Remember, Paul is writing here in the first century to a Roman colony, the Roman colony of Philippi. He's writing to a church in that colony. And Paul declares to these Philippians, these group, this group of Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi, that God has exalted Jesus to such a height that every knee will bow to Him and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And of course, upon reading Paul's letter here, the church in Philippi would have made an immediate connection between what Paul says here and the claims of Caesar and the practices of the Roman imperial cult. The Roman imperial cult taught that Caesar was divine. And Caesar demanded that all people yield to his divine status by confessing that Caesar is Lord. So Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 are a bold challenge to the claims of Caesar and to the claims of Rome. And the members of the church in Philippi would have known this to be true. For example, Polycarp, who lived from 69 to 155 AD, was a bishop of the church of Smyrna. He was also a disciple of the Apostle John. And as an old man, Polycarp was arrested. When he was arrested, his persecutors demanded that he confess that Caesar is Lord and that he offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. Polycarp refused. He was 86 years old at the time. And he confessed, quote, 86 years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? End of quote. As a result of his faithfulness to Jesus, Polycarp was burned to death. And his death was a declaration that not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. The question for each of us this morning is, have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Have you confessed Jesus to be Lord? I want us to see from our text this morning that Jesus is in fact Lord, and because He is Lord, He is worthy of our worship. We're going to look at our text this morning in three parts. First, we'll consider God exalts Jesus. Secondly, creation worships Jesus. And third, God is glorified. So first of all, consider God exalts Jesus. Look there in verse 9. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Now you notice here in verse 9 that God is the subject of the verse. And God is responsible in this verse for two actions. One, He exalted Jesus... And two, he bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name. So let's look at each of these actions. First, God exalted Jesus. This action actually marks a dramatic transition in our passage. You might remember from last week that we saw in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus descends down, 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 down. He descends from being in the form of God 
to being born in the likeness of men, to coming in human form, to taking the form of a servant, to being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's this descent down, 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 down. When we come to the end of chapter 2, verse 8, we come to the lowest of lows, death on a Roman cross. But here we see in chapter 2, verse 9, that Paul, in contrast, declares the highest of highs. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And the word translated there, highly exalted, is actually one word in the original language. It's a combination word. It's, let me see if I can pronounce this correctly. Who root, I messed it up already. Who per russo ao, and it is a combination of two words. The first word is who per. It's translated or it means above or beyond. It's the word from which we get the word hyper. And the second word is, and this is the harder one to, to, uh, to pronounce, is hupsao, and it means to exalt. So the idea here is that God highly exalted Jesus. He hyper-exalted Jesus. And God's exaltation of Jesus, of course, includes His resurrection from the dead. His ascension to the Father. His exaltation over all powers and rulers and authorities. God has hyper-exalted Jesus. You know, when the Old Testament prophet Isaiah looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, he prophesied his sufferings. But he not only prophesied his sufferings, he prophesied his exaltation. So in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13, we read, Behold my servant, which is a reference to the coming Messiah. Behold my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Or in Philippians chapter 13 verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and shall divide the spoil, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is his exaltation. He will divide the spoil, the rewards of his suffering with the strong. Now some might wonder, well, wasn't Jesus already, you're talking about Jesus being exalted, but wasn't Jesus already in the form of God? Isn't that what we learned in chapter 2 verse 6? So how could Jesus be exalted if he was already in the form of God? In what sense was Jesus exalted? Well, my friends, it is true that, the, that as the eternal Son, Jesus was in the form of God prior to his incarnation. He was in the form of God prior to him taking on flesh and becoming a man. But do you remember what we saw from the text last week? That in Jesus' incarnation, in His deity, in His divinity, in His godness, when He became a man, His godness was in large part hidden. It was veiled. It was veiled under His humanity. It was veiled under His humble circumstances. It was veiled under His status as a servant. It was veiled under His death torturous death on a Roman cross. As one Christian theologian put it, quote, in becoming incarnate God, not only does God accommodate Himself to human weakness, He buries His glory 
under veil after veil so that it is impossible for flesh and blood to recognize Him. As He hangs on the cross, bleeding, battered, powerless, and forsaken, the last thing He looks like is God. Indeed, He scarcely looks human. End of quote. But do you see, my friends, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in His ascension to the Father, in His exaltation over all things, God vindicates Christ's unjust and humiliating death. God affirms and gives His divine stamp of approval on Christ's redeeming work. God reveals and now He makes known publicly what was previously hidden, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that He reigns. And so God exalts the Lord Jesus. Not only does God exalt Jesus though here in our text, notice that He also bestows on Him, and this is the second action that we see here in verse 9, He bestows on Jesus a name. And so Jesus' exaltation includes this bestowing. The word here is charizomai which means to give freely as a favor, to give graciously. That's the word translated bestow. The root word there for charizomai is charis, from which we get the word grace. And so as a reward for Jesus' obedience, as a reward for His humble sufferings, God graced Jesus with a name. And here Paul describes that name as the name that is above every name. The bestowing of this name is a significant component of God's exaltation of Jesus. And we're going to return to this name in just a few moments. But here we see that God exalts Jesus. Now the second thing I want us to see in our text is that creation worships Jesus. Creation worships Jesus. Now we see this in verses 10 and 11. Look there in verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So notice in verse 9, God exalts and bestows. He exalts Jesus and He bestows on Him a name. And now in verses 10 and 11, we're given the reason why, the purpose for Christ's exaltation. And there's two purposes You see them there in the text. The first purpose is that every knee should bow before Him. And the second purpose is that every tongue would confess that He is Lord. So those are the two purposes for Christ's exaltation. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Now let's look at each. First, that every knee would bow. To bow the knee is, of course, a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor, of obedience and submission. It can also be an act of worship. So in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, we read, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And notice here in Philippians chapter 2 that this act of respect and honor and obedience and submission, this bowing of the knee, will be universally observed. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. The universal observance of this bowing is acknowledged both in the fact that Paul says every knee shall bow and also in the spheres that Paul speaks of in which this bowing will take place. It will take place in heaven, which is likely a reference to angelic beings and the saints in heaven. It will take place on earth, which refers to those who are presently alive. And it will take place even under the earth, which may refer to the devil and those who belong to his realm. As F.F. Bruce writes, quote, Not only human beings, but also angels and demons in joyful spontaneity or in reluctant fear acknowledge the sovereignty of the crucified one. All beings, in fact, in heaven, on earth, and in the world below. End of quote. On the day of Christ's return, all will bow before him. But notice the second purpose here for Christ's exaltation not only that every knee would bow, but also that every tongue would confess. Now, remember back in verse 9, we said that a significant component of God's exaltation of Jesus was the bestowing of this name. And I said we return to the name. But the question is, what name did God bestow to Jesus in His exaltation? Some have suggested that the name that God bestowed to Jesus was the name Jesus. But I don't believe that's the case. I don't think that's what the text is saying. Jesus is not the name that God gave to Jesus in His exaltation. Jesus is the name that God gave to Jesus in His incarnation. It's when He became a man that He was given the name Jesus. You remember that the angel Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So Jesus was the name that was given to him in his incarnation. In addition, we see here in chapter 2 verse 9 that there is something special and unique about this name that is given to Jesus in his exaltation. Paul says that God bestowed on him the name, and there's a definite article there, it's not just any name, it's the name that is above every name. The name Jesus in Hebrew is actually the word Joshua. It was a very common name in Jesus' day. It wasn't unique in any sense in that way. It was much like a man being named John or James today, which is very common names. So what is the name that is above every name? What is this unique and special name that God bestowed upon Jesus in His exaltation? Well, the name is revealed there in chapter 2, verse 11. So that every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the name that God bestowed upon Jesus in His exaltation. The name Lord. And more specifically, what I intend to show you is that it is the name Yahweh. Of course, we spoke about the name Yahweh in our first sermon in this series when we considered the divinity of Jesus. That Jesus is God. Yahweh is the Hebrew sacred name for God. One of the most important events that took place in the Old Testament Scriptures is recorded in Exodus chapter 3. 
when God appears to Moses. God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh, and he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses doesn't want to go. Moses is scared. He protests. And at one point, Moses says to the Lord, who will I say sent me? What if they ask me your name? And God responds, I am who I am. And then in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says, Say to this people Israel, I am has sent me to you. And in Hebrew, I am, I am who I am, is Yahweh. This becomes the basis for God's personal covenantal name in the Bible. In Hebrew, it is Yahweh. In English, and if you look, and I've I've pointed this out before, but if you look in your Old Testament Scriptures, you'll see this over and over again. In fact, thousands of times, that word Yahweh is translated over into the English in your Old Testament Bible as Lord, but it's Lord in all caps. That's the divine name of the God of Israel. Well, when that name comes over from Hebrew into Greek which the New Testament was written in Greek, Philippians here, Paul is writing in Greek, it comes over as kurios, which is translated Lord. And kurios, Lord, can refer more generally to a master, to a Lord, say a master or Lord of a servant, or in certain contexts, it can be a reference to the name, the personal covenantal name of God, Yahweh. Now here's the question in chapter 2, verse 11. Is Paul simply asserting that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that He is Master? Of course that's true. Of course Paul would acknowledge this. This, I think, in particular has reference to the idea that Caesar is Lord, and Paul is presenting Jesus as a rival to Caesar. But does Paul have more in mind? Is Paul inserting, asserting more in that, than that? Is Paul asserting that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord in the sense that He is Yahweh, that He is God? And yes, I believe that is the case. Paul here has in mind the sacred personal name for God. And the reason why we know this is because in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul, who is a Jewish rabbi, who is a Jewish scholar, is citing an Old Testament passage of Scripture. He is citing an Old Testament passage of Scripture that uses God's name, the name Yahweh, and he is applying it to the Lord Jesus. The Old Testament passage is Isaiah chapter 45 Verses 22 and 23. Let me just briefly provide you with a little bit of the context for this passage and then speak to the text itself. The context is Isaiah chapters 41 to 45. And these chapters focus on the person and the name of God. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, we read, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, that is my name. Or in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, we read, I, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. 
Or in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, we read, Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Or in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, we read, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. And now it's in this context that then Isaiah goes on in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22 and 23 to record, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Beside myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Paul knew that verse. And Paul, writing Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, takes that verse and he substitutes where it says, To me every knee shall bow. Paul substitutes, At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And where it says, And swear allegiance, Paul inserts, and confess, confessing is the same idea of swearing allegiance, right? And confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here, Paul is taking the unique, special name of God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and he's applying it to the Lord Jesus so that in the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, what we see is that God the Father openly bestows upon the God-man, Jesus Christ, his name, the name that is above every name, the name Yahweh. As one commentator observes, quote, the hymn boldly asserts that Jesus bears the name of God and is to be worshipped as Lord, end of quote. So understand what's happening here in this verse. I said before when we, just, when we started this morning, it's hard for us to, to really grasp or understand the significance of what Paul is saying here. From a Roman perspective, the declaration that Jesus is Lord is a bold declaration that Jesus is superior to Caesar and he is a rival to the Roman gods of the pantheon. But from an Old Testament Jewish perspective, the idea that Jesus is Lord means even so much more than the fact that Jesus is superior to Caesar and a rival to the gods of the pantheon. It means that he is in fact co-equal with the one true living and eternal God. And that he is the sovereign Lord who alone reigns supreme. He is co-equal with Yahweh. And we are to worship him. Notice again that this confession will be universally acknowledged. You remember, every knee will bow. And now we see here in our text, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, whether it is in joyful spontaneity or whether it is in reluctant fear, all will one day confess that Jesus is Lord.
when Christ returns. And it's amazing because we know when, when we go back to Isaiah 45 and we see how Paul is using the text there, and now we see that Paul is saying this will be universally the case that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And then we go back to Isaiah 45. We know we're tracking with Paul because it's the same thing Isaiah says in Isaiah 45. If it's perfect with the original context that Isaiah writes these words. In Isaiah 45, there is both a reluctant and fearful acknowledgement of Yahweh as God, and there is a joyful celebration of Yahweh as God. So again, the verse that Paul is citing is Isaiah 45, 23. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. In the next verse, verse 24, we read, Only in the Lord, only in Yahweh, it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him, that is to Yahweh, shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. So see what... What, what Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 45 is when there's knees bowing and tongues confessing Yahweh. It is not all willful, joyful submission. No, rather those who are angry with him, those who are incensed by him, those who are ashamed once his identity is to be revealed, they will bow and they will confess him to be God. And so what we have here in Philippians chapter 2 is not only a willful, joyful submission and worship of the Lord Jesus, but even a resentful, shameful, fearful acknowledgement that Jesus is in fact Lord and God and ruler and sovereign over all things. And so simply, my friends, listen, this is not only a declaration of what is to come, it is also an invitation for each of us to receive what is true. If you have not bowed the knee, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, it is an invitation to do so today, to do so joyfully, to do so willingly, so that in the day of Christ's return, it might be a time of joyful worship rather than reluctant, fearful expectation of judgment. But in Isaiah, not only does Isaiah speak of the world acknowledging Yahweh is God, and some doing so in fear and with reluctance, but he also acknowledges and celebrates that there will be those who do so with joy and with rejoicing. So verse 23, again, our text, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. In the next verse, verse 25, to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. So those who were reluctant, those who resisted him, those who were opposed him, they will finally bow the knee. In the next verse, verse 25, in the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. And is this not a perfect description of Christ? redemptive work. All those who are in the Lord, all those who are in Jesus, that is for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus and His atoning work on the cross for their sins, they will be justified. They will be forgiven before God. They will be declared righteous. And not only that, they will glory. They will worship and celebrate 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All will bow. All will confess. Some in judgment. Some in salvation. So the invitation for each of us is to bow the knee now. To confess Him now. That we might worship Him joyfully in His glory. Third and finally, God is glorified. God is glorified. Look there in verse 11. Actually, I'll read for us. I'll just start in verse 9 and then we'll read through to verse 11. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here it is, to the glory of God the Father. Now, as we look at this last phrase here in Philippians chapter 2, I just want to say a brief word here about the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. So the Christian doctrine of the Trinity acknowledges that God is one and that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Philippians 2 helps us understand the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. And we see in a passage like this why Christians have confessed that God is one and He is three. In Philippians 2, we see that Paul celebrates the co-equality of God the Father and God the Son. So Jesus was in the form of God, verse 6. And in verse 11, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, that He is Yahweh. In other words, God the Son is co-equal with God the Father in His divinity, and His deity, in His godness. He is as much God as God the Father is God. At the same time, you see here in our passage that Paul maintains a distinction between God the Son and God the Father. So God the Son and God the Father are not the same person. They're not to be conflated with one another as though they were the same person. You see the distinction. God the Father exalts God the Son. And the exaltation of God the Son glorifies God the Father. They are co-equal in their divinity. They are both God. And they are distinct from one another. So that the actions of the Father affect the Son. And the actions of the Son affect the Father. Now in what sense does the exaltation of the Son glorify the Father? How will God the Father be glorified when the Son is exalted and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He is Lord? I think if we just think about what we've been walking through over the last several weeks in Philippians chapter 2, it makes sense. God the Father will be glorified because God the Son did not seek His own glory. He did not grasp for His own glory apart from God the Father. Instead, Jesus, God the Son, emptied Himself. He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by humbling Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And why? We've talked about this over the last several weeks. Why did God the Son choose to do this? Well, in part, in order to reveal, to make known the emptying self-giving love of God. To declare that this is what God is like. God gives of Himself. God empties Himself for the sake of others. 
And so when Jesus is exalted, it will be a universal declaration of God's emptying, self-giving love. It will be a declaration that this is who God is. This is what God is like. Do you see Him in all His willingness to empty Himself and give of Himself? This is who God is. And God the Father will be glorified. And we will worship Him. In our Philippians 2 series entitled, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, we've seen the divinity of Jesus, we've seen the humility of Jesus, we've seen the humanity of Jesus, and now this morning we have seen the worship of Jesus. Who do you believe Jesus is? John Stott, the Christian pastor and theologian, once wrote, quote, Nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus End of quote. Have you bowed the knee? Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? Have you trusted in Him for your salvation and committed your life to Him as Lord? May this year be a year in which we all worship the Lord Jesus. And may we worship Him with bended knee in submission to His Lordship. And may we worship Him with joyful confession that He is in fact our Savior, and our Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father, we thank You and praise You for the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, for the glorious mystery that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, we stand staggered and amazed and in awe when we consider how far the Son stooped, how far He condescended, how far He was willing to go down in order to meet us in our need. And Lord, our hearts are filled with joy as we consider the heights to which He has been exalted as Lord and Christ and Sovereign and King. Father, we do pray that our hearts would be filled with worship. And Lord, that that worship would be expressed, yes, with song and singing and with rejoicing, but it would also be expressed with a bended knee, a bent will to your sovereignty. And with a willingness to confess Christ is Lord among our family and our peers and even among those who oppose Him. So Father, we thank You and praise You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope and salvation that you have offered us and granted to us in him. Help us to be faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.